Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm actually in a live session, our Elite Trainer Masterclass, and uh, we've had a brilliant question, which I think is useful to discuss, carry on the ongoing debate in our Disruptive Entrepreneur community, and that is, how do you deal with change? Uh, And I think that we can see change one of two ways. I think change can be daunting, scary, I think change can be exciting and new. And I've pretty much stopped giving black or white, good or bad, binary answers to questions. Because honestly, I deal with change in the following way. I get really excited by change. I love the fact that there's new opportunities every day. And then when we're going through some of that change, it can be very chaotic in the middle and I can find that quite overwhelming and quite frustrating. And things that I feel secure in, I'm, I'm quite scared of the downside of change. Things I've not started in or look exciting or I want to move into, I'm quite excited by change. But I think if we're honest, change is both exciting and scary. It's uh, both an opportunity to do something new, embrace something new, and also risky. You know, look at all of us in the room. We, we must be co- the collective of the biggest course junkies on the planet. Between us all, we've probably done about three and a half million quid's worth of courses, and I can definitely take a million of that. Um, uh, You know, so we've done property courses, personal development courses, speaking courses, uh, maybe um, e-commerce courses, on and on and on, finance raising courses. And actually, obviously, they've been great for all of us in the room because pretty much most of us teach those courses we were students in years ago. But, like, if we're honest... All of us in this room are podcast courses as well. Forgot that one. Um, If we're honest, I think every one of us here has probably done more courses than we've implemented. We've probably done some courses that we didn't really do anything with because we got too busy or we were focused on something else. Or we got excited in the moment and then later thought, actually, you know what? I'm not sure if this is for me. But for every one of us, at least one of those stuck and stuck big. Obviously for you, Peter teaching general property and public speaking has stuck and stuck big. For Steve, his teaching e-commerce and public speaking has stuck and stuck big. For Kevin, teaching creative and no money down property finance strategies have stuck and stuck big. For Ray, raising angel finance. So what can we summarise from this? Uh, Do you perceive it as a good thing or a bad thing that you're the longest standing member of ETM? I just feel a bit sad sometimes that people who are considered friends have sort of drifted away and disappeared. Yeah. So if I could repeat that for the, for the audio. You feel, you feel a bit sad sometimes that people you consider friends have drifted off. That's life, isn't it? Do you feel sad about the ex-girlfriends that have drifted off, Peter? I couldn't possibly say. Yeah, you are live. You couldn't possibly say. Uh, you know, like, for any of us that stick in a niche for a long amount of time, we're going to see 
dozens, hundreds, thousands come and go. You can imagine how many people in property I've seen come and go. How many people to start and do podcasts come and go. I've only been doing a podcast not even three years, but I've been doing property 12. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm semi nostalgic about that. I, I like the thought that everyone that I get on with would stay in all the niches that I'm in. But I also understand we're all on our journey. Yeah. Anything else you want to discuss about change? Well, how, how does that make you feel from the point of view of your own security? Do you feel insecure when people are coming and going? Or do you just see it as being part and parcel as goes with this area? Mm, good question. So do I feel insecure when people come and go? Um, I think in the early days, I used to measure my worth on the amount of followers, fans, people in a room, etc. Uh, and I try my best not to do that now, though I still do it from time to time. So we have, what, 120 members of ETM. Obviously, we've been doing this for a long time. It must be, what, four or five years we've been doing ETM. And, you know, on a day tight like today where we've got, what, 20 in the room, maybe not even, maybe 18, you know, like could I, I could measure myself against that and go, oh, well, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with my course because we have 18 show up. But it's June and you always get lower show up in June. We'll, get, we'll probably get a few more people coming and it'll be 23, 24. But so what? How many are here? People have their own reasons for not being here. Often when we run this course, many of you are running other courses and you can't make it. And actually sometimes the smaller courses are the, are the better ones because you can get much more personal attention. I know I can take time on all these questions because there's only 20 of us, give or take, here. So I'm trying not to measure my results Sorry, my worth by that. I went to Birmingham PPN yesterday to do a talk. And when we started, there were about 20 empty seats. There were about 90 full seats. But my brain did go, oh, look at those 20 empty seats. Why didn't my brain go look at those 85 full seats? And when um, Kirsty said, who is new, about half the room were new. And, you know, you don't normally get that many new people. And maybe that was to do with me being there. So, yeah, I, I suppose I have a less nostalgic and romantic view that we're all going to be together forever, which maybe I used to have. And here's something I think that you've learned about what we've built in our communities, which I'm really proud of. And it's not necessarily good or bad. It just is. But when people leave, there's usually a door open to come back. You know, Daniel, etc., etc. Um, and I've had uh, quite a few people, quite a few old school people who were with us eight, nine years ago that want to come back. Trevor Cutmore reached out to maybe do some no money down training, but obviously we're with Kevin. So, you know, but I'm going to keep a good relationship with him like I have. So sometimes you, you, you have a little affair together and then you part, but then sometimes you meet again in the future, whether that's personal, business, coaching, mentoring, client, student, mentor, mentee. And so if we're less chaotic about change and just understand that it happens and just try and keep doors open, I think that's a good thing. One thing I know about change is it's never how we perceive it to be. Like we see a new opportunity and we get romantic about it. We get excited about it. We see only the upside. Oh, this is the thing I've been waiting for my whole life. You know, just like when you are very attracted to someone. You're very attracted to someone, all you see is the upsides. Seven years later, you're getting divorced from them. All you see is the downsides. And that pattern can repeat. And so it is with anything that can come into our life in terms of a business opportunity. So I think it's wise to have, try and have some balance with change. Look at this new opportunity that you're really excited about and go, mm, OK, I'm excited about this. That's good. Um, is it right for me? 
does it align with my vision and values? Okay, it seems to. Let's give it a go. Don't pin my whole life on it. Give myself some time to test it. Try and go into it knowing that I'm going to do it for a long time. So something I really admire about you, Peter, is you do take your time to make decisions. That's not the part I admire, especially when I'm trying to sell you something. <laughs> um, why, well, no, I do admire that, but what I admire about you is you take your time to decide and you take your time to undecide. I.e., usually when you do something, you do it for a very long time. Because you'll remember, you know, I subscribed to your emails before I was even in property. Um, and that was 13 years ago. Uh, and, and I think that gives you wisdom and calm. And, and I think that's a very attractive quality about you. And it's funny that you might perceive other people are more attractive in their, maybe they're a bit quicker or more relentless or they come and they go. But, but you know, like, I think you've got great longevity in what you do. And if you're, if you're ever thinking about, oh, I might be starting to change my mind, you're like, give me a year's notice which I think is a beautiful thing. Whereas a lot of people I only find out when they've nicked five of our customers, <laughs> you know, and, um, or they've set up progressing property in the deaf blind center over the road. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I really admire that about you. So I think that you're quite planned and measured with change. And a lot of people are very reactive and emotional, but sometimes being a re reactive and emotional grabs an opportunity there in the moment. So it's, it's a dance, it's a balance. And I think if we've got this, balanced wisdom of it all, I think that's how we can embrace change the most. I think it's very important not to make important decisions around change when you're emotional, i.e. high or low. I don't know if you've ever spoken on a stage where the show up was poor, the interaction was non-existent, the sale flopped and afterwards you're like, that's it, I'm not doing this again, this is bullshit. You know, and, you, and then you have to drive three hours home having this self-talk in your head. Conversely, you may have had a good day and think that you're, you know, flying high and you're infallible. So important decisions around change, relationships, businesses, hiring, all that kind of stuff. I think it's important to feel how you, notice how you feel, but let the, you know, spending, that's another great example where you probably shouldn't spend when you're overly high or overly low. Because usually what you do is spend to alleviate the emotion. I'm high, I want to celebrate. I'm low, I want to spend to feel better. Or I want to eat to celebrate and eat to feel better. You know, this is what creates addictions. One thing I can say about change is that it, it's, I think, the most exciting part of business and life. You know, like someone asked me at the speech I did yesterday, did you ever plan and know that you'd be a public speaker, you'd get world records, you'd write books, you'd do podcasts when you got into property? And I was like, no way. I had no idea. 12 years ago, I didn't know what a podcast was. I couldn't do a public speech. I had no desire to do one. And for me, that's really exciting to know that tomorrow could be the opportunity that we've been waiting for. A new trend that you could surf on the wave of. And if you didn't have that optimistic belief that things change, therefore new opportunity wormholes open, why would you want to get out of bed in the morning? So some things to ponder. More of a discussion than an answer. But, and I know it was more of a discussion to debate rather than a question, if you like. Tony, was yours about change? Yeah. Because if it is, I'll keep the recording on. So. Yeah, no, so I was just going to say, actually, that um, and you talk about emotion. I think we have the choice in how we see change as well. Uh, it's funny, I like, I've run something called the Solopreneur Club for a few years, and I did the very last one this week. And I said to Rebecca, I'm going off to do the last Solopreneur Club with my partner. And she said, I think you're feeling really sad about that. And I thought I could choose to feel sad about it. But what I said to her was, it's been a bit of a ball ache to run. 
it's been hard to get people on, etc., etc. So no, actually, I'm fine, and I'm moving on to other things. Mm. And I think we, with all sorts of things, relationships, everything else, you can be too nostalgic with things. So you better to choose um, a view of things that is more helpful uh, in change than it's like. I remember you said about Brexit, Rob, as well. You know, you can either collapse in a heap, or you can think, okay, it may bring opportunity. Yeah, you know. Neither view is probably correct or incorrect, but it's better to choose a view of things that's more helpful with change than becoming nostalgic, fretful, whatever. Yeah, I mean, change definitely has, in my humble opinion, a polarised and equally balanced set of opportunities and threats. Never all good, never all bad. Yeah, so I think that's a really good a way of looking at it, you know, and, and I think it's, it's interesting for us to observe in our own self, how do we perceive change? Are we a bit high about it? Are we a bit low about it? Are we a bit scared of it? Or are we a bit too quick to change? Because obviously running the, the UK's largest property training company, I do see people who give up too soon. Their first set of challenges and they throw the towel in. Well, the reality is they're changing too quickly. And that can obviously be very, very detrimental. I think also sometimes, because you know, you've got two ways to look at this, and let's imagine that we've been doing something for a long time. Change doesn't have to be stop it and do something brand new. Change can just be shake it up. I will give you an example. Do you remember when I think it's fair to say, if you don't mind me saying, uh, Peter, Anne and Dixie, you got quite comfortable on Masterclass? Long time to that time. <laughs> we could have a long debate about it. Well, you, you've done it for a long time in the same format. Yeah, yeah there you go. So, that, that, so, so the format of Masterclass hadn't changed for a long time. And then we just moved, we just take, took the course. We didn't add anything. We shuffled the order of it. And I think that the, certainly the results peaked. I think it, by the look, looking at Peter and Anne, I think we'll move on to the next question <laughs> with that one. Um, is this about change, Jason? Okay, cool. Yeah, nice and loud, and then you can be heard. So, um, literally half an hour ago, I finished listening to The Gratitude Effect. So, Brilliant book. Yes, yeah, so when you first listened to that, were there anything really specific, maybe in the past, that helped you? Reevaluate the value in the change rather than maybe something that you've lost. Or... Yeah. Okay. So, um, John Demartini's book, The Gratitude Effect, is probably the single most compelling book I've ever listened to, which proves undeniably that there's upside in all downside and there's good in all change. And there's a section of that book, or it might be one of his audios, but it's certainly linked to that, where he discusses 9 11. And he makes quite a controversial statement in that he says there was a, a, a vast amount of upside benefits to 9-11, which, of course, is quite a controversial thing to say. And he started listing how the fire service obviously had a lot more work to do. Um, they were a lot more admired by the country. Um, he felt that America as a nation maybe had got a little bit arrogant or power hungry, and that probably humbleized them. A lot of families connected more closely. There, were a lot, there was a lot more lovemaking and, you know, children born and family togetherness in, you know, over that. Um, a lot more overall gratitude, probably some better security measures. And he just went on and on and on and on and listed about 100 things. And at first you're like, oh, you know, whatever, you can't say this, you know, all the families that died and everything else. And at the end you realise on a, on a very wide scale, like on a global scale, that wasn't purely a bad event. And I think that that's the nature of life. Something that dies creates something that lives. And so it is with your businesses, your ideas, 
your relationships. Sometimes if you have difficult clients, and you know, not difficult clients that you've made difficult because you've let them down, because there's a difference, but a difficult client just because your product and service isn't really a fit or you gave them too much of a discount and they maybe became, became a little bit demanding. Often the best thing to do is to refund them and say thank you and, say, and part company. And no one, you know, as a business owner wants to give money back, but that can have a lot of upside benefit because it can free a lot of time and it can help you find out what your ideal non-client is. The kind of client I don't want is the client that wants a tenner for a fiver. I don't want that kind of client. Nothing wrong with that kind of client. If you're, you know, you can reduce your product significantly. Yeah, so yeah, great book, Gratitude Effect. All right, thanks for listening. 